Hi there, it's your friendly podcast editor Dave. Just a very quick word of warning before we get started. Now this is the raw audio I recorded from the Twitch stream on the 11th of October. Now, it's not the complete thing. What I've done is I've cut bits and pieces and I've left the best bits in. If you want the full experience, ideally you should have been there at the time. Uh, During the commentary itself, there's going to be a couple of very weird, awkward gaps here and there. That is purely because I was reading the chat and the editing for this one was fairly difficult, so to speak. Anyway... If you want to get involved next time, come follow us over at twitch.tv forward slash deluxe underscore man. I will let you know in advance, well in advance I should say, before any more live streams happen of this sort of nature. I'm planning one before Christmas this year or possibly after Christmas, I don't know. Keep an eye on the socials. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, greetings and salutations. Welcome to the show that looks back at albums, movies and video games to ask anyone for seconds. I'm your host, Dave. How are we all? Are we all okay within the chat itself? Because for those of you who don't know, I'm actually live on Twitch right now with a very, very small collective. If you're not here, that's absolutely fine. There will be another time. Anyway... It's movie week, and this week we're going to be taking a look at the critically derided sequel of one Mr. Freddy Krueger. Why? It's only a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 Freddy's Revenge. They told her it was just a bad dream. She knew it was real. It became a nightmare on Elm Street. Now there's a new kid on Elm Street. And Freddy's been waiting. I'm afraid to go to sleep. We'll stay up all night if we have to. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Freddy's back. (laughs) And this time he's not fooling around. You are all my children now. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. It's coming soon. Watch out for it. Dave, why this one I hear you cry? Well, in my first forays into the horror world when I was far too young, I became transfixed on the idea of Freddy Krueger. And effectively a demon who stalks his victims in the place they should be safest in their dreams. I researched this Freddy Krueger, and discovered there was a series of films starring in this dream stalker. Seven films, in fact. I went to my local DVD store and picked up the DVD collection for a bargain price. The first film changed my life in that it opened my eyes to horror. A genuine sense of dread and relentless terror. A spellbinding performance by Heather Langenkamp as our hero Nancy, and a nerve-shredding tour de force portrayal by Robert Englund as child murderer Freddy had me hooked. This is what horror should be. Imaginative, 
with a hint of malice. I couldn't wait to get stuck into the rest of the series. Sadly, the following films couldn't reach the heady heights of that initial entry. With the sequel becoming something of a cult curio in recent years due to its homoerotic overtones, something I didn't initially pick up on on my first watch, I thought now is a perfect time to revisit this divisive film. With this justification now thoroughly out of the way, shall we dump together? What dump? The context dump, of course. We're going to start at the start, though, sadly. The original film opened with a limited theatrical release in November 1984 in the USA on 165 theatres. Throughout its release, it's garnered positive reviews and raking in a hefty $57 million worldwide. Considering its initial budget was an estimated $1.8 million for an R-rated film, that is no small feat. It's perhaps unsurprising that talk soon turned to a sequel. It is reported that the writer and director of the first film, horror legend Wes Craven, well known for The Hills Have Eyes, he was asked to return to direct the sequel. Craven refused on the grounds that, I quote, was a silly script. He was also quoted as saying that it brought Freddy much too much into the realm of reality and put him in situations where he was diminished. Fair enough, Wes. I can't argue with that. Interestingly, New Line Cinema, the distributors of the films, tried to save money by recasting Freddy by using an unknown extra in a rubber mask. However, but producers reconsidered their approach as the extra simply couldn't match the menace of Robert Englund's classically trained acting. Lest we forget that before Mr. Englund became horror royalty, he performed for years in plays by not only William Shakespeare, but also Bernard Shaw. Fancy that! Shall we gay things up just a little bit now? I feel like now's the appropriate time. I hinted at this earlier, but this film has become a bit of a cult film and is known for its gay content. First things first, this film is the only film in the franchise with a leading male. Mark Patton plays the role of Jesse, who indeed plays the final girl role. That is now a cliche in horror. Patton himself claimed in 2016 that the script became well, gayer. He stated that rewrites during production ramped up the gay subtext. Patton claimed he felt betrayed as the filmmakers knew that Patton himself was indeed gay, but had not yet come out, so to speak. After nearly 30 years in denial, in 2010, writer David Chaskin confirmed what most had thought, that the film did deliberately lean into homoerotic subtext. This was following of years of denying he wrote the film that way and that Mark Patton chose to play it that way. He even told reporters that Patton played the part too gay. Due to all of this, the experience had gotten to Mark Patton and he left acting. More information about Mark Patton and his experience are covered in the fascinating 2019 documentary Screen Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, which is by all accounts highly regarded and covered the subject matter much better than I ever could. Anyway, Freddy's Revenge is released in November 1985 to 522 theatres in the USA and on opening weekend makes $2.8 million before closing out domestically with a staggering $30 million in the USA alone, recouping 10 times its $3 million budget. Bloody hell! People really do like some horror, eh? Currently, the film sits comfortably at 41% on review website Rotten Tomatoes. People magazine, at the time, 
called the film a tedious, humorless mess with no score submitted. Kim Newman of Empire Magazine gave the film one out of five, stating possibly the lamest of all the sequels. Tim Brayton of AlternateEnding.com gave the film three out of ten, stating this is pretty unique in its stupidity. Finally, Time Out Magazine don't actually give us a score, instead stating the film hangs reasonably well together, not least because of a good performance from all concerned. And with all of that out of the way, shall we just dump into it? Shall we ask anyone for seconds? Okay, and we looks like all of chat are indeed ready to go. So I'm going to hold the controller up to Twitch, and we are going to go, we're going to press play on one. Okay, are we all ready? Three, two, one. And we are gone. So we are looking at the New Line Cinema logo with a bit of luck. Hopefully everybody has got that. Are we there? Cool. So I remember the very first time watching this when I was about 16, 17, possibly 18, something like that. And I didn't like it, not necessarily because of all the gay references, because I would never have picked up on those. I was more of the thinking, huh, what a strange way to um, do, do the film. It's really, really weird. And thus, to me, at the moment, there's only actually been three Nightmare on Elm Street films. Those, those films being the original... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and A New Nightmare. Because those, to me, are, um, are the quintessential films because Wes Craven's actually involved in all of them. So Wes Craven, for those of you who don't know, wrote and directed the first film. He came up with the story and co-wrote the third film. And then New Nightmare, he wrote and directed again, I believe. There we are. We have our man, Jesse, right there. Good looking dude. What's chat got to say? Is the bus driver Robert Englund, says Burning Leo. Yes, yes it is. That is actually Robert Englund without makeup. Minus makeup. It's, it's a very strange sight to see. Denny says she loves the 80s. The 80s were a strange time. <laughs> It was strange. I'm I'm more of a 90s kid at heart. But yeah, the 80s. Yeah, very strange. The idea of having Robert Englund driving the bus is probably taken for one of the possible endings that were written for the first movie, says Bernie Leo. He was supposed to be driving the bus at the end. Yes, yes he was, yeah. They took it out last minute for whatever reason. I can't remember why now. I think probably something to do with the lines of... I think probably Wes Craven wanted to keep him in kind of the uh, keep him in the dream world, so to speak. Having him out of the dream world is, is just weird and wrong. You can really tell with this film that they've had the budget upped as well. I mean, there's a car crash in the first like five minutes or so. It's crazy. I say bus crash. I mean very very kind of awful it jumped a little bit just off the ground Bernalia says by the way the first movie's conclusion was the only thing I didn't like what say oh 
for me, it was like they were copying Friday the 13th Part 1, if you've ever seen that, because uh, Sean Cunningham, who produced the films, he, he did the whole film, made it all about Pamela and stuff, and then they had uh, young Jason jump out of the water into the boat and grab him. So that was, I think, as like the final, very final jump scare. That's cool. That's a cool effect. Those are really cool miniatures. So for those listening to the podcast and aren't actually watching the film right now, so the bus looks like it's suspended on two pillars and it's about to fall into a, the pit of hell. That's really cool. That's an amazing effect right there. So the one thing I did find about the Nightmare on Elm Street films was that the makeup, uh, it changed. It varied from film to film. So obviously the first one is the best amount of makeup they put on him. And when you get to the later films, so when you get to Friday, not Friday, wrong series. When you get to Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of five and six, you get, you know, Wow, that's an impressive scream by Jesse right there. <laughs> the serial's called Fu, Fu Manchu. That's ridiculous. Burning Leo says in the chat he's liking this so far. It doesn't waste any time. No build-up. Straight in, says Chocodon. Straight at the deep end. Yeah, that is exactly it. More, more, film, more films need to do that, really. It was, it's a bit like a cold open. Then he says the guy's cute. He, he, he is, you know? He actually is. It's such a shame that he had to leave acting because of all the prejudices and, and things that he got he got thrown towards him. It's it's horrible. I think he went off when I was doing research again, I think he, he went off and went and did I can't remember if it was interior design or he went and did interior decorating, interior design, or something like that, which is such a shame. Because it, it kind of his role was was you know his star was cut off before uh, he could really get going. Nicky and Bunty says super queer. Bernalio says he can't spam the super queer emote enough. <laughs> so everybody on on the podcast who's not listening, uh, we've decided any time anything gay happens on the screen, we're going to spam the chat. With this little emoji that says super queer on it. <laughs> See, you can almost turn this into a drinking game. Anytime anything remotely gay or homoerotic happens, take it take a shot. But I'd imagine you'd probably be wasted by about a half hour in, to be fair. So probably not wise. So let me really actually maybe two, three parts of this film I actually remember. That's the ending scene. With Freddy, which is absolutely ridiculous. You'll see it when you've come to it. And the other part I remember, I think, is coming up. Not her coming up. Uh, it's going to be arriving very, very shortly, I think. Je Our man Jesse here, he he does a dance. And it's, oh, oh, this, this dance is amazing right here. Given that the, this film came out like a year after the first one. So far, it's not bad. It's setting the mood really well, and 
I'd say it's setting it really well. It's the dark aesthetics. Like I say, that miniature at the start was absolutely amazing. Lifty Ludicos is. I think he's about to have a nightmare on Elm Street. Naha! <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Look at that effect right there where he's ripping the screen off of his. Wow, that's an impressive screen. Wow! Good lord. Danny says the touch. I read a, I read a thing about that, that scene right there. So apparently, originally, he, was, he wasn't supposed to go around the lips and stuff. He was supposed to put the knives in his mouth. Yeah. Phallic symbol. Mmm. But yeah, the practical effects are absolutely amazing. So good. I love that. I love that so much. He just randomly reaches under the desk and he's got a heart and just on the table with you. It's a heart. I love it. That's, that's. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, here we go. You thought it got queer before. We're, we're going to get super queer up in here in a moment. Oh, he's bumping and grinding with the drawers. Here we go, people. Yep, 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 yep. Super queer, super queer, super... Yep, phallic symbol, he's ejaculating. Oh, my. So, so gay. Oh, my. Wow. Uh, but Burning Leo and Nicky and Bunty both pointing out the sign on the door says no out of town chicks with no and chicks being bold. Wow. They really pulled all those punches, eh? Wow, I never noticed that before. Good, good, good spot, people. Good spot. So here's the other crazy thing I read about this film, right? The producers never even considered getting Heather Langenkamp back to play to play Nancy again. Never even occurred to them. Yeah, I liked Heather as well. She's definitely one of the standout parts of the series to me. A lot of these other characters for the rest of the series don't really do anything for me. They're, they're instantly forgettable. But Heather Langenkamper's Nancy, definitely. It might be due to the fact that maybe she's the only sort of reoccurring character that people keep referencing and stuff. But I know there was a film where I think it was... Uh, the third one, one of the characters from the third one survives to the fourth one, but then gets killed off at the opening. And then one of them from the fourth one survives and gets killed at the opening of the fifth one. Whoa, what the hell? Wow, did not see that coming. Wow. So for everybody listening at home, the, 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 the wow, okay. The green bird got out of the cage after killing the other one and has just exploded in a, in a pit of flames. What the hell? This film is balmy. Wow. Firecrackers, you know what he did? He used a goddamn cherry bomb. Oh, that's what he did. Look, you can't talk to me like that. How, how was he going to set a bird to explode like that? With firecrackers? What? The way that bird exploded was like it had C4 strapped to it, for Christ's sake. How are firecrackers going to do that? What the hell? What? What? <laughs> 
Why is he being spanked by bed by towels? What? Wow. That's a thing that just happened, right? He was just bound up by ropes, skipping ropes, I should say, in the shower. Kind of arms up. And he was being whipped by towels. Wow. Denny says she loves this movie already. <laughs> I, I had a feeling it may tick certain boxes of my of my uh, my viewers and followers. <laughs> Exploding toaster. See, this people is why you should always keep an eye on your electrical products in your kitchen when you're using them, because things like that can can happen. I mean, okay, the fact it's not plugged in, that's that's pretty fucking weird. But you should always watch your, your kitchen utensils. Always. Your kitchen appliances, I should say, not utensils. See, I like this for a little bit of law building as well. So they actually go and visit in... in real life where Freddy's boiler room is. It's really... it's pretty cool. Oh, oh, oh. Chocodom has made a revelation. He's calling it out. This is where the final act takes place. I haven't seen this one. Okay. I think you might be very sorely disappointed because I remember the end of this film. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler territory, but we'll we'll come to it when we come to it. Oh, Shadow in the Void coming in with comic book facts now. I just Googled there was a Nightmare on Elm Street comic book series by Marvel, so in theory Rogue could absorb these powers, but would she first need to pull him into the real world? That's an interesting question. I would say yes. Because he's a dream demon. Although, to be fair, he technically loses his powers because we know from the first film, when he goes to the real world, he loses his powers and he can't do anything because he's not in the dream world. So I don't know how that would work. Would he just? Would she just gain the ability to just slash people at random with with claws? I don't. I don't really know. But yeah, there are, I've, again, when I was doing research last night the other day, I did see that there was a fair few comic book series and stuff. I'm quite interested to see whether I could pick them up. Because I know there was a comic book series as well that followed on from Freddy vs. Jason. Which, if you don't like it, well, I'm afraid I'm afraid that we can't be friends because Freddy vs. Jason is the most ridiculously wonderful film in the world. And I think one of the series there was Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash from the Evil Dead. Because they always wanted to do a follow-up to Freddy vs. Jason where they introduce other horror icons into the fold and stuff. Which I would have totally been in for. Because I think originally in Freddy vs. Jason, as well at the end, uh, they wanted them to go into a boxing match in hell and uh, Pinhead from Hellraiser was going to be the, the referee. <laughs> like, what? Pinhead as the referee sounds amazing. I know, right? We We definitely missed out on a thing there for sure. Definitely. 100%. See, I really don't get why I didn't like this when I was much younger. I really don't. Was it because it was something I don't understand necessarily? Leo says, maybe you didn't like it because it strays so much from the original film's premise. 
Maybe. I, I am probably thinking so. It's such a departure because a lot of it is kind of stalking in the... Uh, in the dream world and uh you know that kind of thing kind of bringing them out into the the the, the real world is it's such a departure look at this effect right here this is great look at all of that wow look at all of that kind of so people at home who aren't watching now with us live on twitch uh Jesse's arm has kind of split open and claws have come out of the end of his fingers and stuff like that. That's so cool. That's amazing special effects right there. So, so cool. And even with the pus coming out as well. God, that's so cool. And now there's a head coming out of... Well, it looks like a head and it's ripping. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's amazingly good for the time. Wow. Prosthetics work. Damn, son. Look at that. Holy crap, that's great. Let's have a look at the chat and see what they make of Freddy's entrance right here. Denny says, I love the effects. Nicky and Bunty says, better than CGI. Uh, Nifty Ludico. Damn, the effects are so good. Bernie Leo says the acting sells it really well. Bunty, the practical effects have charm. Yes, they do. They're amazing. And Denny, OMG, the little wave and laugh, Dan Freddy, what a dick. You're not wrong there. Wow, this is so good. He's inside me and he wants... Oh my, Fred's inside him and he wants to take him again. Oh my, wow. Please, everybody in the chat, super queer. <laughs> oh my, wow. Bernie Leo, yeah, if we take the original film's ending, it's a logical step. Exactly, how do you follow up a film... Like the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's incredibly difficult to know what to do. Because again, because, uh, I mean, you could do your typical Friday the 13th route. And you could, um, you know, do the the campers go back to Crystal Lake every year and Jason takes them all out. You could do exactly the same thing in, in these films. Which to its detriment could work or it could not work i mean later films tried to do that and for the most part some of it works some of it doesn't work when you get to good lord when you get to freddy's dead which is the final film before a new nightmare and you get to the scene of freddy manipulating the guy with the video game dreams and he's effectively chasing him while playing mez it's um yeah it's kind of weird Yeah, you know you said you wanted the finale in the boiler room. Yeah, you get this shit instead. So people at home, we're watching pretty much the finale of the film now and Freddy has jumped out of a, um, a vent in the floor. 
And, um, yeah, he's running around slashing people at the pool party now. That happens because reasons. Uh, I mean, sure. I can see people having a real problem with this ending, though, to be fair. Because it's so far removed from the last film. I mean, look at this. This is silly. Freddy's just chasing after these teenagers, chucking bloody chairs all over the place. And, you know, that's silly. That's some cool gore right there, though. Look at that. That's silly. He's got them all lined up behind a table. It's so silly. Compare that with the finale of the, the first film. Whereas the whole thing of, we're going we're gonna to trap Fred. We're, we're going to drag him into the real world. Admittedly, he does get a bit silly. And, you know, but it's, it's explained well because they drag him into the real world. So he's got no powers and things. But this one, it's just silly. Look. Chocodom says it feels like it's just winged the final act on the final day of shooting. Do you know what? It's probably not far from the truth. Um, that that pool scene is just absolutely ridiculous. I I don't like it because it's silly in all of the, the wrong ways. Leo says, if so, they had a bunch of propane to waste. Exactly. So you get, so like I said earlier, you can really tell that they've up that they up the budget and good lord what the hell are wrong with those dogs why are those dogs wearing masks what um what okay that's a thing that happened <laughs> i wow okay um what was i saying uh Help me out here. What the hell was I saying? <laughs> what was I saying? The third act of the film is officially on Mevs as Bernard Leo. You're not far wrong. Ah, oh, that's what I was saying. God damn, pothole of some variety. Um, you can really tell that the budget was like doubled because it went from 1.8 million to basically a $3 million budget and they've um, really upped the ante for kind of effects and things the wide shot is beautiful it is it's a really really cool shot actually it's really really cool look at this cinematography right here where all the canted twisted camera angles looking up at where um, Fred's boiler room is and Lisa climbing the steps and that it's a, so cinematography is really good Oh, kitty cat. Is there any need for that? That that rat was doing a was doing a thing. It was doing his own thing and you had to come along and eat it. Gotta say, for such a dark and brooding film. Um having this at the end is just quite funny. It it reminds me a bit of The Evil Dead. The original Evil Dead, where it kind of cuts out and you get the um, the really bad jazz, low-key jazz scene at the end of it. So, what have we got in the chat? Let's have a look. So, those listening on the podcast, I have asked everybody in the chat say to say what they think about it. So, Nikki and Bunty uh, have said... That was a trip. Generally enjoyed it. 
Uh, Bernie Leo, I was with it until the pool scene, not entirely satisfied with it. That's that's fair. Nufti Ludico, I came in thinking I was going to watch a bad film, but I actually really liked it for the most part. Uh, Chocodon, very well shot. Agree with Leo, things go south at the pool scene, it just doesn't work. I like the practical effects. Nicky and Bunty again. I have no prior attachment to or knowledge of the film, so I'm not sure too if it was a dump on the law, but it was good for what it was. So it sounds like everybody pretty much enjoyed it. Burning Leo, not a bad movie though, interesting movie. So who else have we got in the chat about their thoughts about the film? Uh, Denny. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. Loved the game, loved the effects, loved the cinematography. So, here's, here's my final thoughts then on A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Now, initially, the first time I watched it, I really, really didn't like this film. I, I had a, a massive disdain for it. On this repeat watching, though, I've got to say, I actually really, really enjoyed it. I loved all of the effects, how gooey they were, how inventive and, you know, how 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 fresh they sort of felt after watching the original film for the first, you know, for the first time. I really liked the expansion on some of the lore as well, so the fact that Freddy can possess uh, people as well. I think that's a nice little neat addition to the law and, and the thing. Can you tell I usually write this bit? But obviously I'm doing it live. We're doing it live! So it's fine. So I really love the cinematography. The cinematography was absolutely breathtaking in places. So there's certain aerial shots of the boiler room scenes where, you know, you kind of see all around it and the cinematography... And there's certain canted camera angles in that bit. It's really, really beautifully done and really, really effective. I also... The performances all around were really, really bloody good. So, obviously, Robert Englund, again, pulling his punch is were, were fantastic. As always, even Mark Patton playing Jesse does a really, really good job. I can't see why people said he was too over the top and things like that. I thought he was really, really quite good at that. Even the girl who plays Lisa, she's pretty good as well in that film, all things considered. Uh, the other thing as well, so my only detractors for the film would be literally that last 15, 20 minutes from when you get to the pool scene where Freddy comes out. The, the Freddy's entrance, amazing. Don't get me wrong, that's so, so good. But ultimately, when he's running around the pool chasing a load of teenagers, <laughs> it just looks really silly and it's ridiculous. Compared with kind of the final chase scene in the, the original Nightmare film, or even the showdown in Nightmare 3 where they're all dream warriors and they're using all their powers in the dreams and, and things like that. It's really, really cool. I would say if you've seen it before and you didn't dig it, I suggest giving it another go. Because honestly, a, repute, a repeated viewing, and obviously with the context as well, it really helps you kind of understand what they were trying to do with the film. It's such a departure from the original film. And like I said, if you honestly watch it as part of 
a standalone film so completely irrelevant to the rest of the franchise, then it's absolutely, it's really, really good. It's really, really competently made, actually. It's bloody good. So let's just have another look in the chat. So, uh, Bernie Leo, as I said earlier, it seems to me, while this looked like a departure from formula, it feels like a natural continuation because in the first film's ending, Freddy seemed to have the upper hand in a way. Yeah, you were quite right because he comes out at the end and takes, uh, let's uh, say, Heather, uh, Nancy's mum and things like that. Chocodon says, long shots with the steady cam were great too. Yeah, they really were actually really good, good pull. Uh, Nifty Ludico, I've never seen any of the other films. Now I want to watch the rest. And like I say, the first one's really good. The third one is basically a direct continuation of the first film. Very, very good. Worth seeking that out. The other ones, they have good ideas, but ultimately the execution is... It's fair to middling, in my opinion, anyway. There will probably be episodes later down the line for this. Uh... Denny says, as a standalone film, this is a super fun watch. I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's fantastic. Chocodom, Dream Warriors is worth watch. Oh, yeah, totally. Dream, like I said at the start, um, in my eyes, there's only really actually three nightmare films. So there's the first one, the third one, Dream Warriors, where they introduce people being able to pull in powers in their dreams, whether that be they can fly or I think the one of them is badass because that's a power, apparently. And there was another one who says that they're, they're mute in real life, so they won't speak, whereas in the dreams he, he can shout and scream and people's heads explode and stuff. It's really, really cool. And a new nightmare as well, which is really meta as well. It's really, really cool. So they've got John Saxon, kind of the late John Saxon, I should add. May he rest in peace, sir. Uh, Heather Langenkamp comes back. Robert Englund comes back as well. He They all play themselves and they all play... Well, Robert plays, obviously, Freddy in a form. It's not really Freddy, but it kind of is. And he plays himself. And I think even Wes Craven appears in that one. Really, really cool. Worth worth a, worth a dig. Uh, how many movies are there in total? Asked Denny. There are seven films. Seven films. Uh, if you're including Freddy vs. Jason, there's eight. And including the remake, there is nine. Uh, that remake didn't go anywhere, did it? Uh, do you know, I recently watched the remake about a year, two years ago. It's fine. It's really, it's it's just fine. Uh, I like some of the elements they brought into it. So they brought into the fact of micro naps where you can be asleep while you're still awake. You're that tired that your body basically forces you to go to sleep. And you can't control it. That was an interesting kind of little element. The other thing as well I quite liked was uh, Jackie L. Haley's performance in the remake as well as Freddy Krueger. He is fucking menacing and absolutely terrifying. The rest of that film, though, it's it's fine. It's it's just fine. It doesn't really do anything special. It's a remake of the first film. The, the character that plays Heather is not particularly interesting. Uh, the Johnny Depp character doesn't really do a lot. Although it has got Katie Cassidy in it, who is most well known for now being in Arrow as the Black Canary. So that was a bit of a head trip to go back and watch recently. <laughs> go, wait a minute. 
Isn't that Katie? Isn't that the Black Canary? <laughs> uh, chocolate on the show done on Freddy vs. Jason is nuts. Yes, yes it is. It is cheese. It is cheese fest in all of its glory. <laughs> so I think that is pretty much going to wrap up this episode right now, people. So I just want to say to everybody, thank you very much for listening. Uh, what we will do is I'm going to leave you, for all the viewers at home anyway, who are listening to this after the fact, why don't we leave you with the Freddy rap? Yeah, Freddy rap, because that's a thing. So thanks again. Stay safe. You got this.